Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as a young boy growing up in L.A.? I have thought about this question every time that you bring it up on this podcast, and 100% it is Lego. I remember my brother and I sitting on a wooden table that had a, a green Lego top with a net of all the bricks you know that you had and collected through all the different sets, and just spending hours with my brother building, creating things, and that brand, even to this day, it's genius what they've been able to do both with their brand partnerships, but allowing kids and adults for that matter to just dream. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today in this CMO podcast is Taylor Berry, the VP of Brand Marketing at Austin-based Tito's Handmade Vodka. Tito's may be handmade, but it is no small brand. Tito's is a top-selling vodka brand in the U.S., revenue is in the $2 billion range, and its story is a classic American dream saga. Bert Tito Beverage. Yes, Beverage is his real last name. He founded the brand in 1995 after failed ventures in the oil and drilling industry and in mortgage lending. My guest Taylor has been with Tito's about five and a half years with four years as the head of brand marketing. Taylor is an LA native, a graduate of USC, and now makes Austin his home. Interestingly, Tito's is Taylor's first time on the client side, he spent the first several years of his career on the agency side working with creative powerhouses TBWA Media Arts, Droga 5, and SSK. I know it is dry January, but if you are not abstaining, pour yourself your favorite Tito's cocktail and listen up as Taylor takes us behind the scenes of one of the great brand stories of our times. Here's Taylor. Taylor, welcome to the CMO Podcast in the new year. Last year in January, you ran a hilarious dry January campaign with Martha Stewart on all the uses for Tito's besides making a good old cocktail. So <laughs> that must have worked pretty well, but you're not repeating it this January. You have something new happening this month. So tell us about January 2024 with Tito's. What's new? First of all, thanks for having me on the show, Jim. Long time listener, first time caller. Oh, super. January, we're actually launching our first brand platform for Tito's and really excited about it. We've had a ton of success over the past couple of years with kind of really finding our voice as a brand and trying to figure out a way to coalesce all of those things together, right? There's so many different touch points for a liquor brand, whether that's, you know, at a bar, or at a retail store, at a, a liquor store, grocery store. Obviously, in terms of all of the above the line advertising and, and marketing that we do. And we're just trying to find a way to kind of put everything under that a single umbrella. And we've spent the better part of the past year working on it, worked on it with our creative agency, Arts and Letters, mm -hmm. and came up with this, this concept. And it's it's called with Tito's. It's so simple 
in the basic thought of it, right? Or in terms of just like this idea that you can really put anything in front of with Tito's, but it acts as this almost irreverent invitation for consumers and allows us to get very customized with certain things, just in terms of a specific audience, a specific channel, but also allows us to kind of have an overarching communication platform that is, again, malleable and, and customizable and is something that our sales team can use as effectively as our marketing team can use. So we're launching that in January with a, a whole suite of different things, whether that's from out of home you know, to in-store displays, but also with a, a new brand campaign that is called Good Gets Great with Tito's. That one is it's been a ton of fun to create. And, you know, it really came from, I'm sure you've seen it. There are a lot of brands that are being launched these days in, in the beverage alcohol space. Of course, yeah. A lot of those brands have celebrities that are, are backing them or have them as the spokespeople of those brands. And there's nothing against that. But as Tito's, you know, I think the wonderful things about the brand is that we've really stayed true to who we are since the beginning. And outside of things like Martha Stewart, where it really fits within the narrative of what we're talking about, we haven't really worked with celebrities in the past. And I don't think we'll ever have something where we have a spokesperson that is a celebrity. And so we kind of looked at that and took at that idea and, and thought, well, what if we created our own spokesperson? And instead of a spokesperson, what if it's a bar cart? And this bar cart just comes to situations that's already good inherently. And with a simple serving of a Tito's cocktail, it makes that situation great. And so we have a, a four-part campaign that starts today. And similar to the platform itself, it has so many different ways that it can come to life beyond just these four first iterations of it, which I think gives it the longevity that we're excited about into the future. Well, thanks for launching it on the show. This is fresh news. We don't normally break news on the show, but we love it when we do. <laughs> We had uh, the Mattel CMO the week the Barbie movie came out, so that was in a way breaking news. Hey, t tell me a little bit more about – it's a big deal, obviously, when you launch a new platform, a new campaign. Your agency, Arts and Letters, helped you with this. Take us back to the genesis of the idea. What was the inspiration? What was the meeting like when the idea surfaced? How did you nurture it to get it to this place where you're launching it? Yeah, absolutely. I think take you back a couple of years to a campaign we launched in the summer of 2022. And that was called Tito's in a Can. And it was basically our uh, unique answer to the canned cocktail seltzer craze that was happening in the United States. It was during a time when it felt like a new brand was being launched every week, every day. And we had a, a ton of conversations internally about if this was the right space for us, should we go and make a Tito's and soda in a can? And ultimately, it all came back to the fact of the matter that we've stuck to doing one product and doing one product really well for the entirety of the lifespan of, of Tito's. And that laser focus has allowed this company to continue to, to have an incredible product and, and have a product that continues to grow. But we still felt like we had an opportunity to have an answer to this craze. And, and that ended up being this vessel that was essentially a, you know, a cooler for honestly any drink you can put inside. But it was in the shape of, of a can and it was stylized as if we had gone to market with a seltzer. We engaged Arts and Letters to help us develop the campaign surrounding this product. You know, we had been working on it for a, a little bit and we actually had it all designed and ready to go. And I had worked with Charles Hodges, who started Arts and Letters back at Media Arts Lab when I worked there. And we go and do this entire campaign and Truthfully, the light bulb moment was looking at the response on social and seeing how many comments from fans saying that this is something only Tito's could do. 
And I think that for both myself and my entire team was this epiphany that we kind of found this thing that was, it was, it was irreverent, it was different. And really, again, it was only something that we could do. From there, we kind of continued to engage with Arts and Letters and had projects here and there. After the, the Martha Stewart campaign, like, all right, let's figure out how to kind of coalesque and, and really bottle this idea and this brand voice, this messaging framework into something that's larger, right? So that there is some connective tissue between all of the different things that we're doing. And so you ask about being in the room. My team and I flew down to uh, to Richmond to meet with Arts and Letters. And I'm telling you, it was one of the best days of my entire career. Just the prep that went into the room that we were in for that entire day with all of the stimulus from different brands and different brand platforms and the things that we do. And we conducted a ton of interviews with internal stakeholders at Tito's. And it's one of those days that just felt like there was no stress. You're just throwing at anything that against the wall to see what kind of sticks and slowly but surely you know these threads of ideas and congruencies started to really come to light and there was a lot of simple lines that all ended up kind of being synonymous with with Tito's and then when that kind of came back as the honestly it was the only idea they ended up presenting and it was just it was so good that we all just immediately were like 100% this is it this is it. I mean, you, again, you see all of the ways that you, that this works with all of the different things that this brand does. And it just felt like it was so perfect and so right for us as a way to kind of continue this brand into you know, the next 25, 50 years. So what's Bert think, your founder? Is he good with it? He is. He's, God, he's such a, a great person to work for. Yeah. Really is a maverick in so, in so many senses and and he really is kind of like the lifeblood of this organization. And we're very much a company that's steeped in the history and the story of how this brand became successful. And, you know, so many consumers think that we're just kind of this overnight success. And all of a sudden you saw Tito's everywhere. What we, we like to say internally is it was a 25 year overnight success. About half of that was just absolute grit and grinding and sleepless nights and debt. It's amazing seeing where we are now, but also having, you know, a founder that's still involved also gives license to a, a marketing team like ours to kind of just go and run wild. You know, I think one of the things, you know, even going back to the, the Tito's in a can thing, I don't know if something like that makes it to market with a board, right? Or with yeah. outside investors. And it's, yeah. it, you know, yeah. I remember telling him about the idea when we first had it. And he said, that was, the, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I was like, well, let me, let me at least try it. Let's build this out a little bit. Let's see if it's something that's viable. He's like, listen, if it works, do it again. If it doesn't, just stop doing it. And I think having that freedom as a marketer is, is amazing. I think it's honestly one of the, the things I, I couldn't give up in a role like this. He's ultimately, despite not thinking it was a good idea, is, was incredibly supportive of, of everything that we've done. His story is a great entrepreneur's story, and you're right. And you know, everyone assumes these things happen quickly. This took really a couple decades, and you're you're almost thirty years old. What part of the story do you feel of Bert's story, of the brand story? What part of it do you think is undertold, and what lessons from this don't get enough attention? You know, there's the highlights that we all love to talk about. Sure, he put all of his debt on 19 different credit cards. It was back in the 90s when you could just transfer a balance from one to the next to the next yep. to the next, and that's pretty much how he funded the entire organization. 
the way that he got into the business is fascinating, right? And just in terms of the fact that he was infusing vodka to give to his friends because he was broke and thought that that was a viable business opportunity. And somebody at a, at a liquor store said, if you can make something so smooth that you can drink it straight, then you actually have something. And that's kind of how the whole thing started. I think one of the things that people don't realize is that he just, he's not necessarily a distiller by trade, right? He figured all of this stuff out by looking at photos and talking to friends that were overseas and making basically moonshine while they were, you know, deployed and really kind of piecemealing all of this together and testing and learning for honestly years before he actually had a viable product to, to bring to market. But then I think it's also the people that he surrounded himself with that really kind of helped make this brand what it is. You know, I think there's there's a lot of, of great stories of how people were brought on. And honestly, most of them are still with Tito's today that really galvanized the entire organization in order to kind of go into this rocket ship that it ended up being. One of my favorite stories was I believe it was on eBay, bought a bottling line that he thought that was marketed as a 1985 bottling line. It was delivered to him and it was from like 1955, 30 years older than it actually was. Whoops. Yeah. But <laughs> he's like, well, I paid for it. I bought it. I need it. And at the time, it was just everything was bottles would be breaking on the floor and he was hand gluing all of these labels and just day in and day out, something would constantly go wrong. And I think finally somebody said was, you need to hire a COO or someone that operates like a COO that can really kind of help get all of the pieces working together. And so he hired an old friend of his that came in and I honestly just helped change everything. There's a, a great little anecdote where he was reading the, the local newspaper and saw that a Coca-Cola bottling line uh, was closing and they were sending all of the employees to Waco. And saw the, the article. And so he went to the bottling line and talked to basically the guy that, that ran it and was like, do you have any interest in going to Waco? I said, absolutely not. Said, well, I've got this great brand. We're trying to get things off the ground. And again, this is a time when Tito had no money. Brian ended up convincing him to come, but the head of the bottling line said he'd only come if he could bring his five guys with him. So for a company that one, didn't have the money to, to hire a COO and Definitely didn't have the money to hire another six people, bit the bullet and brought them in. From what I hear, the next day you could eat off of the floor of the distillery. These guys came in and just yeah. got everything humming, just recalibrated everything. So things weren't breaking, bottles weren't on the floor. Since then, that sort of business operation at the distillery has really been kind of the starting point of how we've developed it since then. And the wonderful thing is those six people that came from Coca-Cola are still with Tito's oh, today. That's beautiful. And it's, it's awesome. I mean, and I think there's, there's countless stories like that, you know, f throughout those first 10, 15 years of just bootstrapping the entire operation and finding the right people that ultimately kind of change the trajectory in, in just enough in order to kind of get to the next level, you know, get out of Texas, get to the next state and, and ultimately become, you know, the brand that we are today. Well, for our listeners, there's lots of great videos of the founder on YouTube speaking about his lessons, his life. I mean, he had a lot of failure before this and he was resilient, he was creative and he, he landed on this category and learned as he went. And the brand is, uh, 
the values of the brand are, are rooted in that story. So it's a, it's a beautiful one. He's a great personality, a great character. So I recommend everyone, you know, go to YouTube and listen to vid- videos about Bert. It's re- our, our videos on Bert. It's really good. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Hey, let's let's flash back to your career path, and we're going to come back to your role as CMO in a few minutes. But I, but your career path is so good. You came out of USC, and you worked, frankly, with two, three of the top creative organizations in the world, right? TBWA Media Arts, Droga Five, and SSNK. By the way, I know one of the founders of SSNK. Our mothers were friends, but that's the another best. story. <laughs> Rob Shepardson. So I want to talk to you about the lessons you learned, really, as a young account exec, sort of fresh out of school. So what were those, you know, foundational lessons you took away from people who were running three of the most creative organizations in the world? Definitely. First, at USC, I went as a as a fine arts major, and I've always loved art. I've always loved design. In my heart of hearts, I always wanted to be an ad creative. My grandfather ran an agency mm-hmm. in, in Dallas for a long time. And so I've always felt like it was part of my career path was to be kind of in the creative agency world. I remember coming out of USC and had a mentor that suggested I read The Art of Client Services. And he said, there's a single passage in there that I think will change the trajectory of your career. And that is as an account executive, you need to be second best at everybody's job. He said, if you're looking to be the head of an agency or the head of a marketing department, it's one of the best lessons that you can take with you. And I have taken that to heart since being 21. I think it has quite literally changed the way that I think about this business. It's essentially just being dangerous enough in every area that that you can kind of walk the walk and, and talk the talk, mm-hmm. especially at a place like Media Arts Lab which I think as a, as a young account executive was such an opportunity for me, the fact that they had their media agency sitting inside of, of the walls of the creative agency, right? So the whole idea of Media Arts Lab was marrying the media and the arts for Apple, the client. And the way that Apple operated their business and the way they operated their marketing, it provided me so many opportunities to learn all the different aspects of marketing, even beyond advertising, right? And with that idea of being second best at everybody's job in the back of your head, you're constantly thinking of how you can learn something new, right? And how can, what lessons can you learn from this department or this campaign or projects that you're not on mm-hmm. and being able to really take all of that in and, and create your own expertise within those, those areas between that and the rigor of media arts lab. I've always said it's like investment banking hours with a, fraction of the pay. <laughs> and yeah. Apple is one of the most intense clients I think you could ever have, but also one of, I think the best that you could work on at the start of your career, just the attention to detail of even just the client presentations was out of this world. 
you know, I remember hearing stories about, you know, there being two spaces after a period and Steve Jobs telling everyone to get out of the room and come back when it's perfect. And I think that mentality was instilled in every single employee there. And so the idea of making things perfect, not only for the client, but also for yourself was instilled across the entire organization. And then it was a fantastic experience. And at the time, my my now wife was living in New York and she was there for four years while I was in LA for four years. And so I made the move to, to New York and was introduced to SSNK. Just fell in love with them, you know, the moment I went into their office. And I think from that portion of my career, that agency had such a focus on CSR that, again, it was a, a kind of a new space for me to learn. Mm-hmm especially within the marketing space and the involvement of all of the founders at SSNK. I mean, it was, you're sitting right alongside them, right? They're in every meeting with you. And it was just a completely different office environment, work environment than I had experienced at Media Arts Lab. I think that gave me the lessons of great leadership, honestly, the, the way that they looked at all of their employees as equals and that any opinion mattered. It was so clear from working alongside them. And I think there's a motto I have with my team at, at, at Tito's, which is good ideas can come from anywhere. I think part of that comes from being a creative account executive and wanting creatives to hear my ideas and having them always be shot down for the, a big portion of the early part of my career. But <laughs> the idea that I don't care what, what vertical of marketing you're in, if you've got a good idea, let's run with it. And, and I think a lot of that came from, from SSNK. And then I guess to round it out, you've got Droga 5, which at the time, and, and still, you know, still is, it, it was just yeah. the creativity that was running through that place was just next level. And being exposed to so many different clients and different businesses and having the opportunity to work on three different clients at a single single time and having your brain work in, a, in, in all of these different manners, because, you know, on one side, you're working on Dos Equis and then you're doing Sperry Topsider and then the New York Times. I mean, those are three completely different categories, all with very, very different clients, but it helps you kind of mold your psyche into this way that you can understand and and really digest these different verticals. And I think that that can be applied across, you know, even a singular company like Tito's, right? Where, you know, you come into an organization like this and, you know, it's first time client side, the alcohol business is very complicated and there's a lot to understand beyond just, mm-hmm. you know, the marketing vertical that you've been hired for. And so I think that and the, the strategy work that was at Droga 5 are probably the, the main takeaways from those parts of my career. Mm-hmm. Is there a campaign or an initiative during the, that time at those three agencies that stands out as one that you look back on and say, I'm very, you know, I'm so proud of that. It was an important part of my development. It's one that kind of rises above the rest. Unequivocally, it's shot on iPhone. Yeah. I was lucky enough to actually fly to Cupertino with Charles Hodges, who is now the founder of of Arts and Letters yeah. with Lee Clow and flew up there to present a couple of different campaigns. And that was the last one. And Tim Cook was in the room. And honestly, he was so impressive to me at, in, in that meeting just because, you know, we, again, we had a couple of different campaigns, some that had already been running. And I just remember him saying, listen, if you guys think that this is the best campaign to be out there, keep running it. But if you don't believe in this, then don't do it but you guys are the experts and I will lean on you. After that conversation, we ended the campaign, that single campaign, but then we also had shot an iPhone to present. And 
being in that room, again, as a young account executive was a amazing experience that really molded, you know, one, how to present yourself in those sorts of meetings, but also just kind of seeing the thought process from senior leadership at this, you know, huge global that to me was amazing. And then being able to see it out in the world, the strategy behind that entire campaign is something that I, I think is unmatched. And just the idea of taking a medium like out of home, that's oftentimes seen as an eyesore mm-hmm. in the environment of, of cities and the rural parts of the country and turning it into an art gallery and a campaign that's trying to sell phones that doesn't even show a phone to me was just absolutely incredible. And the process of also finding the images was a blast. Sifting through all of these different photos that consumers were taking and finding the best ones and how they would work in different formats and then evolving that into the video space, that campaign was amazing. Well, it became part of our language, right? Absolutely. So when a campaign becomes part of the language of daily life, then you know you've done something very meaningful. Now let's get to your CMO role at Tito's and talk a bit about vodka and marketing and entrepreneurship. You've been there about five and a half years. You've been the head of brand marketing for about four years. As you just said, during your time in the agency, you work for lots of different brands, some of the greatest brands in the world, Apple, Delta, Ancestry.com, and on and on. How is working on marketing and brand building at Tito's different from the other clients you got exposed to in your time at the agency? There's a couple of things. The first I would say is, and it goes back to what I was mentioning at the beginning here, is there's there's no innovation at Tito's, right? There's no innovation in terms of product. You've got one one product and it's mm-hmm. like we like to say it's vodka flavored vodka. And there's no flavors. Probably the biggest innovation that we have is a different label that we end up updating slightly just for little tweaks here and there. How many SKUs do you have? It must be just a handful, right? Six. Six. Six SKUs. And you're about a $2 billion brand. That's pretty good. And it's it's a huge opportunity. Again, for all of us, it's that hyper-focus on selling and marketing one single product. But I think for a marketer, you start thinking about, okay, well, what is the new thing, right? How are we going to continue to make this brand be beloved by the consumers that already love it and new consumers? You know, there's 15,000 people that turn 21 every day. So you've got to continue to find ways to make this brand relevant. And not only that, on the trade side of things, right, you are often beholden to your customers. And it's our job to continue to make Tito's interesting without a new product, right? What's what's the reason to continue to put this brand on the floor of a liquor store or have it on the menu, right? And what what are we doing in order to continue to make this something that is viable for account owners and for consumers alike. And so there's this very interesting strategy that has to go into every single thing, every single piece of marketing that we do is that there's half of your brain has to go into what's the consumer benefit that you're trying to speak to. And then the other half is what's the benefit for your customers. You're on, on, on the account side of things. It's a fascinating conundrum to work through every single time that you're trying to develop a campaign. I think we've done a, a, a really good job. And again, especially over the past couple of years of, of innovating with things that are a little bit different. And I think the other thing too about Tito's in comparison to some of those other brands is vodka is a, a space in which there are hundreds of competitors, mm-hmm. right? It is a very oversaturated category. I firmly believe we have one of the, if not the best product within that category. But for a lot of consumers, whether it's price, 
driven or what they've known for their entire life or whatever it might be, what's going to be the thing that differentiates your brand outside of the rational benefits, right? The rational things that, you know, we speak to, whether that's being that we're pot distilled or distilled six times made from corn, made in Texas, all of those things. Beyond that, what's the thing that consumers are going to take with them? And what I think Tito's has that a lot of brands don't, whether within our category or outside of our category, is a unique personality and one that's not contrived or made out of thin air, right? I think everything that we've done or and continue to do is based off of the story. It's based off of the founder. It's based off of all of these real things, right? And it's a personality that's organic and, and isn't being, you know, thought of it of in a lab. It's really true to who we are. And it's just kind of slightly evolved over time. And I think that's the thing that's going to ultimately stick with consumers in the long run is that they relate to this brand, right? They relate to this brand because of what it stands for, because of the way that it speaks to consumers, because of the causes that it's involved in. All of it is so completely organic that it feels very true and honest. Now you have six SKUs. The product really hasn't changed fundamentally. It forces you in a way to be much more creative in your marketing and consistent with obviously the brand, what the brand stands for. But you must have been tempted. You talked about this earlier in the show, you know, with all the activity in the category on seltzers and canned beverages. I mean, that's easy growth. If Tito's did that, you would immediately have a big bump. So can you take us into your company, into those discussions where you have this easy growth that you could get, but you've resisted it. You stayed true to making great vodka and marketing a unique personality. So what could we learn about those discussions you have in your company about those trade-offs and ultimately deciding that you're going to stick to your guns? Listen, I think seltzers are nothing new necessarily, right? You think you look over time and whether it's wine coolers or any other ready to drink product that has come through the marketplace over the past 30 years, mm -hmm. they've all had their time to shine and many of them fizzle out. And I think it's yet to be seen if that's going to happen with seltzers and canned cocktails. But there is a, I think, an underlying thinking that if we were to go down that path, and to your point, it is easy growth. I honestly, I, mm -hmm. I think in every conversation we'd have, we had with this, it'd be like, if we launched this, it would, it would kill it, right? It would just absolutely yeah. change yeah. the marketplace. But what are the long-term effects of that on the brand? And I think that's ultimately what we kept going back to is we have been a rebel of this industry. We've done everything the way that people have said not to do it from the beginning. By getting into the space of doing a canned cocktail, and then not only that, but every canned cocktail has a flavor, right? And so all of a sudden, you're not just getting into you know a separate product, but you're also getting into flavors, which is something that we've never done before. Mm -hmm. And there's an element of that that is and could turn Tito's into a sellout. And I think to me, that is, and I think to us as an organization, that is the the last thing that we would ever want to happen to this brand. Despite how big and how much we've grown, we've always kept that rebellious attitude intact. And taking the easy money is something that doesn't align with what Tito's is all about. Mm -hmm. And again, that I, I keep going back to that hyper-focus that we have. 
you know, you take your eye off the ball and potentially have negative impacts for your baby, your, your base product. You know, I think it was a, a, a calculated risk that we didn't need to take. Well, let's get back to your time at Tito's. You came, it was your first client side job, right? You were on the agency side until you came to Tito's and you were there about 18 months working in marketing. You were promoted to basically the CMO or the VP of marketing at this great brand. Tell us about that. Did you feel prepared? And if you did, why? And if you did not, what did you do to get yourself prepared? Great question. Because undoubtedly, I did not. If I'm being completely honest with you, I think Mm -hmm. I was excited for this opportunity. And even just coming in on the brand side and versus the agency side, there was so much I just I didn't know. Going back to even just the the alcohol industry in itself is so complicated and so complex. And that was something that I had to learn from the ground up. You know, I had some time on Dos Equis, but even beer compared to spirits is, you know, apples and oranges. Sure. Learning the side of trade and how that impacts the business and the role of of the sales team in regards to what they need from from my team and just how this entire organization works together, right? I was exposed to a slice of the marketing pie. And now all of a sudden you kind of, it's not even just the marketing pie, it's the entire business. And I think those those first 18 months or so was a lot of digestion and learning and really asking a lot of questions and truthfully not being afraid to admit that you don't know something, especially in a new environment like that. To, to your own team, admitting that you don't know something, right? Just like those guys from Coca-Cola, most of my team has been there for you know seven plus years at this point. And so there's a lot of history that they have on the brand and a lot of knowledge that they could instill in me that I think ultimately was incredibly helpful. But I think part of the reason I was hired in the first place was that I didn't have spirits industry experience. Mm-hmm. And there's a playbook when it comes to this, the spirits industry and marketing. No doubt. I, I think there was a fresh perspective that I was able, able to bring to, to the organization. One, again, that allowed me to kind of stru- flex that creative muscle and be able to kind of think about things a little bit differently and where our place was within the marketplace. And again, how we can carve out something that is unique to only Tito's and also, you know, having messaging that's something that only, again, only Tito's could do. And so long story short, I wasn't prepared, but I learned a lot. And I think, again, going back to the idea of being second best at everyone's job is, is, is that mm-hmm. mentality that you had to go in and being humble going into this organization. And it was tough. I mean, I think on the agency side, most amount of people I probably managed was four or five. And you go into a team of 20 plus. And not only that, but a team of 20 plus that has done things a certain way for a long time. And all of a sudden, there's this guy that's coming in that trying to change things up. But between the need and want to learn and then the openness to having your team bring ideas to you and being able to execute on those was super helpful with my success. The other thing is, you know, coming from the agency side, the creative that you work on is, you know, very, especially the agencies I was with, it's high class, right? It's, it is big budgets to go and, and produce these amazing ads and, and campaigns just because Tito's has gotten bigger doesn't mean it's not still bootstrapped. And there's just something that's so unique about that. And I, I just remember my first week there and head of trade marketing was telling me that this shoot was done for $7,000. 
And I was like, to me, that was crazy, right? I just had never seen anything like that before in my life. And, you know, we for forever had produced almost everything in house. And so it was, you know, we've got this very modest office office here in Austin. We would just do shoots in our little kitchenette, but it all just worked because again, it was just, it was very, very true to what this brand stood for. And everything that we did was essentially bootstrapped, just like what Tito did back in the day. And so I think there was a lot, there's a learning curve there, especially when it came to, to budgets, when it came to management, you know, when it came to creative, even eventually the strategy, right? I think everything that I had worked on in the past was almost always in regards to a new product or a new sponsorship or something like that. Mm-hmm. And again, you're going into this space where you're just trying to reinvent the exact same thing every single time you're trying to reinvent it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, it really it really puts a focus on, you know, commercial innovation, right? Marketing innovation and telling your story over and over again in, in creative ways. You've never had an external agency sort of in an agency, a record model until you brought arts and letters in, I think a year and a half or so ago. Why did you make that decision after 25 years or so with no agency? Was it the discussions you were having with Charles and one thing led to another or was it more of an intentional thing where you said, you know, it's about time. We bring in an external partner to, you know, be part of the team, challenge us, bring different ideas, bring a diversity of thinking. So what, tell us that story. The relationship we have with Arts and Letters, I think is incredibly unique. I think just as an agency, they're incredibly unique. It's funny always being in the room with them. I always have flashbacks to the conversations that we used to have talking about clients and you know, the things that people used to say on the agency side about their clients versus obviously how they perceive themselves. And I I think neither myself nor my entire team has ever felt like the prototypical client in this relationship with arts and letters, whether it's, you know, the first couple of campaigns that we did together to this brand platform, we're brought in to every single thing and everything is collaborative. Any idea that we have is taken into real consideration and not not it's like a client ask, right? It's more of it's more of like, oh, that's actually you guys understand the business far better than we may. And that's actually a great point. Let's like let's fold that in. Every single campaign that we've done together, every single project has just felt inherently collaborative from the beginning. And I think that's really rare. I feel like we're not it I think what we didn't want to do was farm out creative to an external agency, right? I think there's always this this idea of having some sort of fingerprint on it as as our brand, right? And again, we still have the exact same creative team internally and they're incredibly talented. But as this business grows, so do the requirements of the industry, right? And again, you go back to what I was talking about, your account owners and what's required in order to continue to have floor space. As you continue to grow and that becomes more and more important to the success of the business, that means the creative asks continue to grow and grow and grow as well, right? And so they've allowed us to, one, really find our voice together, and then two, be able to, you know, have this pipeline of creativity and and these campaigns that we develop with them. But then also, they've given us toolkits in order for us to go create those things ourselves. So it's, it's mm-hmm. this incredibly symbiotic relationship that, again, I think is, is really rare. I think if it was, I mean, I, I can't say for certain, but any other agency, I probably wouldn't have you know, pulled the trigger on it. And it, I think the relationship that I had with Charles to begin with, I think was very helpful in, in yeah. you know, selecting them. 
but it wasn't even, you know, it's not like we went through any pitch process or anything. Again, it was just uh, this organic thing. It's like, well, this works. So let's, let's, let's do it. It's the best way. What's your greatest hope for the new campaign, which is just launching? I think this bar cart that is autonomous and was actually built by some of the people that actually built the original R2-D2, which I find very fascinating. Oh, wow. It's got a personality of its own, right? And I think when you see these ads, it's very clear that there is, despite it not being able to talk, it's got this uniqueness to it. And I think it has the potential to be something that consumers recognize. Now, I know that's probably, it's not going to be the same as, you know, we don't have the biggest media budgets in the world. And we certainly don't. And I don't necessarily know if we have the frequency in order to make that happen. But we do have, again, so many different channels that we can speak to consumers in. And I think if we can make this character of this Barkhart be something that's recognizable and, again, something that's that's representative of the brand, that would be the ultimate goal for me. And I think beyond that, as far as the entire brand platform I think short term, my biggest hope is is internal adoption, right? I think it's getting mm-hmm. getting the entire organization behind this idea of with Tito's and seeing the opportunities. You know, we have we have salespeople across the entire country, and they know their markets better than anybody, right? And it's we certainly as a marketing team can't be everywhere at once. And it's an incredible resource that we have having boots on the ground across the entire country and having them be able to identify opportunities where this brand platform can come to life. It's already happening. I think after the first time I presented it to the organization, everybody was just coming up to me and, and I would get emails about, oh, what if we did this in Minnesota? Or what if we, what if we did this in Arizona? And it's, it's really exciting to see the entire company get behind a creative idea like this and, and see the opportunity and see where it can and fit in. We've talked a lot about team and culture and creativity on the show. I've never been inside your company, but it sure seems to be a culture of high performance, right? You've had an incredible growth story over the years, but also one of generosity, of fun, of creativity. I read you have a joy a joyologist on on staff. So what could others learn from this very special culture that you have built over the years. I mean, it's not easy to have one product that doesn't change with his, with six SKUs and grow a business to two billion in sales. I mean, that is very revolutionary, very counter to how the category works. So, what could others learn if they're trying to build a unique culture, which is both high performance and spirited and fun? I think it ultimately comes down to meaning and purpose. And the first time I ever met Tito, it's probably the thing that stood out to me the most. You know, we ended up talking for like three and a half hours and he told me his whole story. But there was this one anecdote that he mentioned that, again, has stuck with me since that first day six years ago. It's the way he talks is very matter of fact and occurred to me that you're making $30,000 a year. You're like, if I could just make double that, I would be really happy. Get a promotion, you start making $60,000 a year. Wow, if I just made double that, I could be really, really happy. So you like go and get married and, you know, you make $120,000 a year, you're on vacation. You're like, well, God, if I could make double that, then I would be really happy and I could go on more vacations like this. And, you know, and so it went, right? And he's like, it's a, it's a never ending goal because you'll never be happy with just more money, right? The mm-hmm. thing that makes employees happy is meaning and purpose. And he, as soon as he was able to, he said, if I could start letting my employees give away my money, to causes that they care about, 
you provide your employees more than just a job. You supply them with, with meaning and purpose in their lives, right? And their ability to go out and help people. I don't know if every company can take a lesson from that because I think there's something incredibly unique about Tito's, especially when it comes to our philanthropic work. It is quite literally up to our sales team and our team to decide where we donate product and, and monetary support. And so there is zero strategy when it comes to what we're doing from a, from a philanthropic point of view, outside of the fact that it's what matters to our employees, right? And so then the fabric of the organizations that we support across the country, and this is very much a lot of the, the doing of our joyologists, it ultimately goes back to the things that our employees care about. And, you know, whether there is something that happened in your life that is related to this one single cause, and that's the thing that you decide to, you know, really support in Akron, Ohio, that's awesome, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it has allowed us to just be able to help so many different organizations and people. And the stories that we hear are just, you get them back. I think especially for our team, you know, especially on the social side and managing our inbound emails. It's one of the best parts of my job is just to see the impact that this company has had on just singular people's lives. And those stories that you hear and the anecdotes that you hear, it just, it, it changes the way that you think about how this organization actually does business and what its impact can be. And I think ultimately that is what has kept people on board at Tito's for so long. It's just the fact that they feel like they can actually make a difference in whatever their role is. A few questions in the creator brief to end this great discussion, Taylor. And the first one is, what's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as a young boy growing up in LA? I have thought about this question every time that you bring it up on this podcast. And a hundred percent, it is Lego. I remember my brother and I sitting on a wooden table that had a, a green Lego top with a net of all the bricks, you know, that you had and collected through all the different sets and just spending hours with my brother building, creating things. And that brand, even to this day, it's genius what they've been able to do both with their brand partnerships, but allowing kids and adults for that matter to just dream. God, if someone gave me a Lego today, I would be ecstatic you know, just to be able to to go back to those days. And there's just something about that. I think it really was formidable in terms of how I, well, one, in terms of my creativity, and then two, just in terms of how you think about things, right? There's so much problem solving that goes into either building a set that is, you know, you have the directions in front of you or two, dreaming up something of your own, right? And I think that there is, mm -hmm. that brand has, has just created an entire generation of, of and generations of, of, kids that maybe had creativity that was untapped and exposed them to possibilities of being able to create something from a couple of plastic bricks. Lego would love your answer. It's exactly <laughs> their brand purpose. And by the way, my wife gets a new Lego every year for Christmas. Last year, she got the flowers. You know, you can do the flowers in the vase yep. out of Lego. So she still loves it. So I hope in the next holiday season, you get a Lego. I will say my you know, wedding anniversary, there's a, a specific theme for like year one, year two, year three. Yeah, sure. And I, I believe for year four is flowers. And so my wife got me the uh, Sakura one. Oh, nice. And so that, that, that was an incredible little surprise that I didn't think was coming. <laughs> so what's your favorite beverage when you're not drinking a Tito's drink? Alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Go, go both. Okay. My favorite non-alcoholic, I'll start there, is probably Harmless Harvest coconut water. Mm -hmm. And then I'd say my favorite alcoholic, probably a good glass of red wine. I'd say most commonly is what I probably drink when I'm not drinking Tito's. 
a Pinot or a Cabernet or a Zin? What do you like? I like Italian reds for the most, most part. Italian yeah. reds, okay. A good Barolo is, is, you know, probably one of my favorite things to Can't have. Can't go wrong. Yeah. How do you stay current, fresh, in touch? A few different ways. I think as far as news goes, honestly, Apple News is changed the way that I consume things. It has been, you know, it's one of those things that I sat on my phone for years and then I fired it up one day, subscribed to Apple News Plus, and all of a sudden it's a, it's like social media, but for what you care about and for actual information, right? And I think that that has been, uh, especially when it comes to current events, has been something that has, has been incredibly helpful. The other one is TikTok. It's amazing to me, obviously you read the ad ages and the ad weeks and, you know, marketing publications that, that kind of cue you into what different trends are and what different brands are doing. But a platform like TikTok has been able to not only have brands in the way that they operate as a brand on TikTok, but it's been a forum to showcase what brands are doing outside of just social media, right? I think some of those, this past year, it's been so fun to see brands that are essentially hacking out of home with augmented reality overlays, and then having that be something that is showcase on tick. It's like this weird amalgamation of all of these different mediums that ends up being something that is showcased to consumers in an inc- incredibly unique way. And I'd say the last thing is, is honestly my team. You know, I think it's amazing having a group of people that come from a ton of different backgrounds and a lot of different interests. The things that they care about are different than the things that I care about. And mm-hmm. the amount of things that I'm and, and different trends and brands that I'm exposed to that I, I may not have known previously, uh, honestly comes a lot from, from the people that I work with on a daily basis. This is January 10th, the day we're releasing this, this great show. What are you looking forward to this year, 2024, professionally and personally? Well, certainly I'm excited for today to launch this campaign. Yeah. And I think, you know, as far as the, the rest of this year, I think obviously the adoption of this with Tito's campaign is going to be huge for us. And, and seeing where we stumble is going to be, it's always exciting. I think that happens a lot. You know, it goes back to what I was saying about Tito saying, you know, if it, if it works, keep doing it. If it doesn't, don't do it again. And I think there's a lot of learning that's going to happen over this year. Not very often do these things go on off without a hitch. And I think we'll, as a team, learn a lot together and unite in order to figure out how to make things and evolve things the correct way so that year two looks better than year one. And again, in my, in my opinion, this is a brand platform that's got longevity beyond just being a singular campaign. And I think that the hope is that we can figure out ways to make sure that it stands the test of time and, and continues to be a brand platform that they use far when I'm gone. Super. How about your personal life? What are you looking forward to? There is, this is a, a wild thing and it's something that we actually sponsor at Tito's, but there is a race and it's called Hood to Coast, I believe. And it's basically a, a race from Mount Hood to the coastline yeah. of, of, of Oregon. And got a call from our in-house counsel the other day saying that he wants to get a team together and he knows I'm a big runner and I haven't done a, a real race in a long time. And that's going to be in, uh, in the summer. And I'm, really looking forward to it. And it's kind of reinvigorated me in terms of that, in terms of just, you know, running again for fun and for something that you want to, you want to focus on. Yeah. Who's been the most inspiring person in your life? Most inspiring person in my life has got to be probably my wife. And I'm sure she would love this answer, but truthfully living in Los Angeles after going to USC, working at Media Arts Lab, I felt like I had it made, right? I felt like you know, everything, this is an incredible job. I had a ton of friends. My family lives in Los Angeles. And she challenged me and said that if you don't move to New York, not because of me, but for yourself, then you'll stay in LA your entire life and you'll never know what else was out there. 
And that has been a mental and emotional shift that I think has propelled me to be able to take risks far beyond what I thought I was capable of. And there are plenty other, you know, influential people in my life, but I think especially that one challenge, I think really just changed who I, I am today. Taylor, thank you for this discussion. Happy 2024 to you. Congratulations on the new platform, the new campaign. I'm a fan of your brand. You've made me even a greater fan of your brand. In terms of my vodka purchasing, I'm 100% loyal, by the way. I appreciate that. You're, you're the only vodka I buy. <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you for having me on the show. I've, I'm, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. That was my conversation with Taylor Berry. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. First one, the power of early career learning. Taylor worked at three agencies early in his career, and he worked for some of the world's greatest brands and observed some of the world's greatest leaders, and nothing was lost on him. He learned a lot from observation and being around really talented people early in his career. Second takeaway, Taylor talks about being the second best at everyone's job. That was an early lesson for him. It was a creed of his when he was at the agencies. What that means is you understand other people's jobs, you care about them, and you try to get some level of mastery in their role. That's a great, great lesson for everyone in any career to learn what other people do and how you can help them work to their potential. Third takeaway, keep the main thing the main thing. This is a very unusual brand. It's almost two billion in sales with only six SKUs. It draws the creativity out of the organization. If they can't change the product, they have to think of other ways to market the brand. This is a really creative organization. They respect what the brand is and they feel like going into additional categories and additional areas would be a sellout. A great lesson in staying true to your brand. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.